For millions of Americans, it is an unwelcome blast from the past. For millions of others, it is a hope for a second chance to drain the swamp of American politics, so to speak. Whatever your view on Donald Trump and his mission to make America great again, there is no doubt that the former president's recent announcement that he intends to make another run for the White House in 2024 is deeply divisive. True to form, Donald Trump kicked off his campaign with a combination of rhetorical showmanship, bombast, and mudslinging. In the days leading up to his big announcement, he took a swipe at the newly re-elected governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, a one-time ally and even disciple, whose success and popularity with his constituents has cast him in the eyes of many pundits as a potential challenger to Mr. Trump. The entry of Mr. DeSantis into the field, which is purely theoretical at this stage as the governor has not announced any interest in the Oval Office, shows the split forming within Republican ranks. That split was made abundantly clear in the recent midterm elections, in which Republicans gained control of the House of Representatives, but only just. Many of Mr. Trump's favored candidates lost their legislative and gubernatorial races, suggesting that a lot of Republican voters may have grown tired of Trumpian drama. The party's performance certainly did not meet the expectations of most pollsters, who predicted a red wave. But it is hard to write off Trump's presence on the American stage, and perhaps even the world stage, completely. What does all of this mean for the Republican Party? Is the Trump era over? Or are the best days of America's most divisive president in recent memory still ahead? And what impact will Trumpism in 2022, such as it is, have on America in the coming months and years? You're listening to Beyond the Headlines. I'm Suleiman Hakimi, opinion editor at The National. I'm joined here at our studio in Abu Dhabi by Cody Combs, the National Social Media Editor and a native of Ohio, and Hussein Ibish, who is the National's U.S. Affairs columnist and a senior resident scholar at the Gulf States Institute in Washington. Before we start, if you like Beyond the Headlines and want to keep up to date with our episodes, then hit subscribe on your preferred podcast app. Cody, Hussein, welcome to Beyond the Headlines. Thanks. Good to be here. I just want to start with Hussein. Now, you've arrived here in Abu Dhabi from Washington. Yep. Uh, tell us what the mood is inside the Beltway following the recent midterm election results. Well, I left as it was becoming apparent uh, that the Democrats had really done even better than anyone had expected. And uh, I think there was a great deal of relief. Washington, for the most part, is a, uh, a very liberal place. And uh, even though... Uh, there are lots of so you'd have to distinguish between the the population, which is uh, you know is a, it's got a, a an African American plurality to it, uh, and um, is is very very liberal, and the uh, the denizens of of Capitol Hill and the White House and what have you. And there, I think, Republicans are dejected and shocked, and Democrats are uh, for the most part pleasantly very very surprised, if not also shocked. I think there were some people, I was one of them, who who had a sneaking suspicion that the Democrats were really going to do very well uh, and not get the clobbering that both history and the current conditions in the country would su- would have suggested. I mean, uh, I, I think the, the results are really fascinating, but the mood, I think, is split between Republican dejection, anger, and infighting on the one hand, and Democratic jubilation, but it's very important to understand one thing. 
This Democratic victory is a victory for the centrists in the Democratic Party. The um, centrists did exceptionally well in the primaries. Only one or two of the nominees, even for um, you know fairly obscure uh, seats in the House of Representatives, had a strong liberal or progressive bent to them. They, you know, you didn't you didn't get much um, defund this or that or Green New Deal or uh, anything like that out of them. There was a very, very solidly centrist batch of candidates, right, under a solidly centrist president, and they produced one of the best performances by uh, a, a ruling party in the first presidential midterm in the last century. It's, it's an extraordinary uh, performance, really the best for Democrats since 1962, uh, easily. Um, so in, this, in the internal battle within the Democratic Party between the left and the center, the center is riding higher than ever. I mean, a lot of the um, commentary in the U.S. is focused on the Republicans. Yes. Um, but do you think that this will be a real moment of reckoning for the Democrats as well? Or do you think the Democratic Party is sort of a little bit oblivious in its No, it's not a moment of reckoning, though there are lessons to be learned, especially the, the evident power of centrism. And I do think they, they need to take seriously the fact that, um, you know, not just that Republicans won, well, they were going to win and everything, but, you know, the fact is they're, they're going to be facing a, a three or four vote um, majority in the House, and that's, that's going to be a problem. The other thing is that um, a lot of conservatives did really well. It was the Trumpian candidates, especially the election deniers, the people who made no bones about, at least rhetorically, being opposed to the American democratic system, of being really not in favor of the Constitution, and being willing to countenance um, uh, authoritarianism and, and election cheating, basically. It's pretty clear that in some parts of the country, at least, uh, and, and there, there are other uh, examples of that, that um, re very conservative Republicans, even those who dabble in the performative uh, culture warrior stuff that Ron DeSantis has done with shipping Venezuelan immigrants to you know, Martha's Vineyard and 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 to um, uh, Washington D.C. and whatnot to to try to catch liberals out as being uh, inhospitable that didn't work but it's the performative stuff that counts right um, even though he dabbles in that he also does do real policy he is a serious governor a lot of what he does is kind of alarming and has an authoritarian bent to it, but he's not um, a fake politician. He's a real politician. So I think that the Democrats need to take seriously that um, once Republicans drump the, uh, drop the kind of Trumpian, pure performative grievance poli politics and uh, would run with either a strong conservative, traditional Reagan Republican, if there is one left, or uh, someone like DeSantis uh, or Brian Kemp in Georgia, who did extremely well also, um, you know, that, that the Republicans still can really win and that they can do well with minorities. They can do well, better than um, many liberals hope and expect with African-Americans. Uh, they can make inroads with suburban women as long as they drop the Trumpian stuff and kind of play it at least halfway straight. 
And so Democrats need to be very clear uh, about that. The, the moment of reckoning is with the Republicans. They're, now they're on notice. Their leader and his politics are toxic. Nationally, it's not a brand that can sell. Their problem is that to get rid of him, they need to overcome the 30% of their voters who would walk through fire for the guy. That means there's only one way to do it, really, which is to pick a candidate like DeSantis or Kemp or somebody like that now and everyone get behind them and, and have a two-way match in the primaries and, and then Trump could possibly go down. Yeah, I mean, I want to come back to Ron DeSantis and Florida, but before we do that, I mean, Cody, you write frequently on U.S. politics at the National. Um, you have a particularly keen insight into the atmosphere on social media as our social media editor. Uh, how much do you think the Trump phenomenon is a social media phenomenon, and how much do you think it reflects real problems for voters in America today? Well, in terms of social media right now, what we're seeing is a social media life without Trump, and it's an interesting one. And one might be able to argue that because Trump didn't have, you know, that Twitter megaphone this time around or Facebook, that some of his comments were blunted. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but that's the argument some people are in fact making. If you're looking at this from a big picture, however, both in politics and in life, I'm a firm believer that nothing is ever as bad or as good as it might initially seem. That being said, by any objective standard, the midterm election night, what turned out to be a few nights, was a good night for the Democratic Party and a not-so-good one for the Republican Party. And what was interesting, what you saw, Democrats took heat for this on Twitter in the days leading up to the election. For why is Joe Biden talking about this, you know, democracy's at stake? He needs to be talking about inflation. He needs to be talking about issues. He needs to be uh, getting out the Democratic base, and these aren't going to move the needle. But for the first time in a long time, according to exit polls, Democrats won the independent and moderate vote. During a midterm election, I can't stress that enough because usually Democrats have to make, rely on the base, you know, get out, pull out all the stops to get that base out. This time, they won those undecided voters, those moderate voters, those independent voters. So that right there should send up warning flags for the Republican Party going into this next election cycle, which would be 2024. That said, the Republican Party also did a relatively decent job in Florida and in the state of Ohio. So there is a pulse there. There's potential there. How much will it come to fruition? We don't know. Also worth noting, Democrats underperformed in New York State. So we'll see how that turns out, where the Democratic Party is seeing a lot of infighting. Democratic politics are not going to be decided about what happens in New York State in 2024. That being said, it's something to keep an eye on. Um, you know, I think grand scheme of things right now, the big takeaway is that the Democratic Party solidified a firewall in Michigan. Minnesota, and Pennsylvania. They made gains at the state level, governorships, and that's the firewall that Biden is really trying to hold on to. Going back to sort of the nugget of your question, social media, this all happened against a crazy backdrop. Elon Musk takes over Twitter. He essentially goes out on Twitter to all of his followers and says, you know, I'd write something to the effect of you should vote for the Republican Party. So you know, and Twitter, of course, goes crazy, which is what Twitter does. But if you think about the ramifications of that, that's huge days before the election. It remains to be seen if that had any impact whatsoever. And I think right now what we're seeing is people are kind of overestimating the impact that Twitter and social media have. You ask, you know, average Joe or Jill if they saw Elon Musk's tweet on that day. I don't think they did. So in a nutshell, you know, we're moving on to 2024 now. Social media isn't going away. And we'll see what happens. 
Uh, I'd just like to pick up on one thing you said, which is that um, if the Democrats had carried New York, upstate New York, the way they should have, there's a very good chance they could have uh, won or or had a tie in the House of Representatives, which which would have been beyond shocking. Then it would have been the, you know, the greatest midterm performance in maybe of all time or close to it. Uh, that didn't happen because, yeah, they were, they were so divided um, in upstate New York and they just they couldn't find any way of breaking through. Um, the other thing that, that you're absolutely right about is that um, the, the, uh, the, it was a great year to be an incumbent. A very few incumbents lost, right? The, the, the Trumpian candidates were mostly first-time candidates. They were insurgent candidates. And, uh, you know, that's, it's really important that Republican incumbents that were not seen as tainted by oh, too much Trumpianism, uh, DeSantis, uh, Kemp, et cetera, many others, um, Ron Johnson, even though he is a bit Trumpy and he's one of Trump's limited success stories. Uh, but still, uh, you know, it was just a very good year to be an incumbent. And I don't quite know why that is. Uh, when people are so dissatisfied with the situation. But basically, uh, two kinds of candidates won. Incumbents and Democrats running against Trumpy candidates. I mean, speaking of incumbents in the House of Representatives, um, I mean, the reality is that the Republicans even narrowly have taken control of the House. Yep. Uh, so how do you think this makes, uh, Hussein, how do you think this makes uh, President Joe Biden feel right now? Is he feeling vindicated or is he perhaps dreading that Republican control of the House will make his job much harder. I think he's thoroughly vindicated. There's no, there was really no way, given uh, history, the conditions, sort of gerrymandering, and the failure in New York State and upstate New York. Uh, there was no way for uh, the Democrats to keep hold of of the uh, of the House. What the result they got with this razor thin Republican uh, majority in the, in the House and a likely one seat pickup in the Senate, because I believe uh, Republicans are not going to win. Herschel Walker is not going to win the runoff in Florida. All the momentum is with the Democrats. Trump is back in, in the race and with this announcement. So there'll be you know, all the more stench of Trumpianism about him. Cody, one of the hallmarks of uh, Trump's power last time he was in office was his ability to take command of the ranks of the old guard of the Republican Party. Um, you know, all, all of the familiar faces, uh, you know, Mike Pence, Paul Ryan, uh, they sort of fell in line behind Donald Trump. Um, but in recent days, uh, particularly following Trump's announcement that he's going to run for the presidency again, uh, we've seen a lot of those same figures turn on him. Uh, do you think that that will do anything to diminish Trump's influence over the American political discourse? The short answer to that question is no, I do not. And that might seem surprising, but let me take a trip back to 2016 and just prior to that, when Donald Trump struggled in Iowa. And even before those Iowa caucuses, there were a couple conservatives. Nobody really came out and said, no, this is ridiculous. I can't have this. But he wasn't getting full-blown endorsements, Okay. And then he loses Iowa. And some people are like, okay, well, this is a problem now. He's, he's not electable, this, that, the other thing, yada, yada, yada. And he still had that very, very loyal base. I think you put it at uh, 30% or something to yeah, that 30 effect. 30 to 35%. Yeah. Yeah. And they will go to bat for him. Every so time. 
anyone writing him off based on the last few days of people saying, okay, I think we've had enough of this. I think we have other options. He still has a very, very loyal base. And we shouldn't necessarily write him off out of the U.S. political discourse yet. So I totally agree with that. But I would just say one thing. He is a diminished figure. He's a hugely diminished figure. He's got the big L on his forehead. He had one big victory uh, in 2016 or two back to back, the, the, the uh, primaries and then the general election. And it's starting to look increasingly like a fluke because everything else he's touched has turned into a loss. Uh, and it, it also is very hard to imagine him beating Joe Biden or any other credible Democrat in, in the next election. So they know that if they nominate him, uh, they're likely to lose again and that he'll probably have negative, some negative coattails as well. And, um, you know, it's, it's really a, a huge a conundrum for them because uh, of the support of the base. And I, as I said before, if, if it's a more than a two-way race, he, he's almost inevitably gets the nomination if he really wants it, which it looks like he does. And one of the reasons he does is that he thinks it will help to defend him against pending criminal charges, especially in the documents case, which seem almost inevitable to me. And I would also like to briefly add to that, strictly on a technicality, if you go back to the big success story he had, which was the 2016 election, he didn't win the popular vote then. No. So he, he's never won the popular he, vote. The Democrats did not get out the vote on that particular election day. Republicans turned out a lot of people. He still didn't get the popular vote. And I know that's not how the U.S. elects a president. But that being said, that one claim to fame still has that big dent in it. It so, has a big asterisk, yeah. yeah. Also, you know, the independents swung to him at the last minute. They broke to him the way they broke for the Democrats in the midterm. They broke for him uh, in 2016. Hillary Clinton was a remarkably bad candidate in, in every way. Uh, she was unappealing. She never had a theory of why she should be president. She didn't have a coherent message. And really, it was a sort of it's my turn candidacy. And that, that was really bad. The, the stench of entitlement was so bad. And I think people were willing to take a chance on Trump. A lot of people thought that he would behave much better once he was elected. And they didn't realize this isn't a performance or it's not a performance that can be broken. Uh, if it's a performance, it's a 24-7 one. But he really looked diminished. He looked old. Not as old as Biden, because not as old as Biden, but he looked old. He looked tired. He lacked zeal. He lacked the, 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 the showmanship pizzazz. People fell asleep. People left. I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's a terrible conundrum for Republicans because they know he's going to lose, but they can't stop him. They haven't found a way yet. I mean, maybe they could, but uh, I, I completely agree with Cody. Uh, it's, it's going to be really tough. They're, as I said, they're going to have to pick one person and ram that guy through. And that's asking a hell of a lot. Well, I mean, speaking of the one guy they may have to ram through, there's a lot of talk right now that it, it could be Ron DeSantis. Um, I mean, I was in Florida just three months ago and driving through the state, you still see a lot of Trump banners, Trump sure. bumper stickers, uh, Trump signs everywhere. Well, there are a lot of people who like them both. A lot of Trump, one thing Trump is doing when he attacks DeSantis and DeSantis doesn't fire back is he, he's irking his own supporters. Because if you ask them, apparently, they all like DeSantis too. 
they see a lot of similarity between the two. So uh, it's dangerous for Trump to be attacking DeSantis, and, and DeSantis doesn't fire back. Uh, I think it's uh, it's problematic. But you're right. There's there are a lot of DeSantis voters who would still vote for Trump. And a lot of Trump supporters who would vote for DeSantis if they were given a good reason to. Yeah, I mean, it's not often that we see, uh, you know, two challengers from the same party uh, come from the same state. Mm -hmm. And Florida, as it is, is already a battleground state um, in the U.S. So um, I suppose, how good do you think, Hussein, uh, that DeSantis's chances really are? I mean, he's untested on the national stage. Exactly. But his victory in Florida recently was the by the biggest margin any yeah. governor's had in 40 years. It was very big. Um, Gretchen Whitmer had a similar performance in Michigan. Um, so people are thinking that if Biden doesn't want to run, but I think he clearly will, especially now that Trump has announced. Um, because we, we pretty much know Biden can beat Trump. And he, can, he did it before. He can certainly do it again. Uh, I, don't, I, don't, I, I, I find it very hard to come up with a plausible scenario that that yields Trump beating Biden. It's possible, but I don't think so. Um, DeSantis, yeah. I mean, it's just very hard to know. His reaction at this point was to tell people to chill out. Uh, literal words. He said, we just finished an election. Uh, you know, I don't want to, you know, talk about it. Chill out. However, in the debates for the Florida governorship, uh, Charlie Crist um, pursued him on the matter of the presidency and asked him, will you commit to serving out four years? And he wouldn't do it. And Charlie Chris said, see, he won't do it. And uh, it didn't bother people, I guess, but um, indeed he wouldn't. So he's, he obviously is thinking about challenging Trump. Tr- when Trump attacks him and he doesn't respond, it really helps DeSantis. It, because the people they're fighting for in the primary, you know, the, for the Republican primary, are you know, a very similar group of voters, right? There's a big overlap. And if DeSantis is going to beat Trump, he's, it, it, unless it's just the two of them and all non-Trumpy people go to DeSantis, uh, it's, that's possible. That's the scenario I was thinking about, right, with, with, with uh, two people. But I think it's not going to be just two people uh, because I think Mike Pence is going to run for president. It really looks that way. And there are others who are clearly thinking about it. And, and as they see the, the weakness of Trump and the growing defections and criticisms and Florida man makes announcement headlines on page 26 of the, of the post, which doesn't have that many pages, uh, you know, I think there's going to be an increasing sense that this guy is vulnerable, highly vulnerable, and, and he is. Um, so you're going to get uh, at least a three-person race. And under such circumstances, again, I think Trump wins. So the DeSantis challenge remains really problematic. Um, he, the other thing is Trump has been threatening him in very direct ways, right? He said, I will reveal things about him that are not very flattering. I know more about him than anybody except his wife, who's really running his campaign. And then Lara Trump, who is his, uh, his um, daughter-in-law and who's a uh, kind of unofficial spokesperson, said uh, DeSantis should wait for um, 2028. He's a young man. He should wait. Because um, uh, uh, primaries are very rough and very raw. 
and uh, he, it would be nicer for him. You know, it's sort of like the mafia. You know, what? it's a great car you got there. It would be a shame if anything happened to it. Uh, you know, great, great, great governorship you got. You know, it would be a real shame if anything happened to your reputation. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you mentioned that one of the strengths of DeSantis's approach right now is that he doesn't respond um, to Trump's uh, it's very smart veiled threats. Yeah, I mean, you say it's smart, but very. Um, you know, I mean, Cody, we've seen that uh, attempted in the past with Trump during his last presidential campaign, and it sort of seemed at the time like taking the high road with Trump just didn't work. Um, and the mudslinging didn't necessarily work either, but maybe just because Trump was better at it than other people. Um, do you think that that dynamic with Trump has changed? Uh, and if so, why? I don't think the dynamic has changed at all. And in some regards, I, this might sound shocking. I think it's been, it's trickled down to other parts of politics. Back in 2020, during Biden's first two weeks in office, we did an article and we looked into his tweets, how his style was. And it was basically his Twitter style was just a clearinghouse for his administration's agendas. I think at one point he tweeted something to the effect of there's no one that can outwork the American worker when the playing field's level. You would get banal, milk toast, really bland statements that nobody would be offended by. They wouldn't excite many people, but, you know, they were what they were. They were just middle of the road out there. In the last few months, last half of the year, really, if you look at Biden's Twitter feed, it is reactive. It mm. is, he is, he's going after uh, the Exxon CEO. He indirectly mm. responded. And when I say he, somebody probably on his staff, unlike yeah, Trump, no I, don't, yeah, I don't think Biden is obviously tweeting. He might be, but Trump was no. more hands-on. But it's, it's reactive. It's interacting with people. It's, he even responded to the Wall Street Journal editorial on his right. account. So, and I think right, some did. people might think that that's, you know, that's not very presidential. You shouldn't do that. But Trump has totally just shattered that. And it's trickled down to all different parts of American politics, for better, or for worse. And a lot of people might say, well, it's for worse, but it is what it is. And it's the world that Biden is living in right now. So Biden has been very effective at poaching some of these techniques, nowhere, using it nowhere near to the effect that Trump did. But he's taken, He's been taking a few notes, frankly, or his administration has. I mean, so, you have to. Yeah. It, it was successful. Let me tell you why I think it's smart. Trump has made his announcement more than a year and a half, considerably more than a year and a half before the, before the election. No one has ever announced anything like this early. Like he's, he's doing it because of, of the pending uh, criminal charges. That's why he's, he has to do it. He, he thought there was going to, he made the announcement, a big, very special announcement, right? Clearly he was going to run, expecting a red wave or a great performance. And, you know, he got his clock cleaned, especially his candidates. And uh, he didn't have the great um, uh, springboard uh, to leap off of into a glorious uh, comeback. And I think is likely to continue to be, uh, you know, sort of lackluster as it goes on, if not worse. Um, the, the the base won't care. But the, the reason that it's smart for DeSantis not to respond is it's not time to get in the dirt with Trump yet. He's going to have to do it. Of course, he's going to have to do it. But why would he do it now? If he rises above it at this point, and, uh, you know, Trump looks like a jerk to a lot of people who like both Biden and DeSantis, and DeSantis says nothing, 
and they, you know, same people would like that, you know, he's, he's being good to, you know, it, it'll appeal to the people he needs to appeal to at the moment. Now, come the actual primaries in, say, the first debate, he's going to have to take the gloves off. There's no doubt about it. And Cody, my last question for you is, um, how do you think both parties can draw a line from these midterm results uh, to the presidential elections in two years' time? I mean, what, what strategy do the Democrats and the Republicans uh, need from here on out uh, to get into the White House? If you're a Republican right now, you've got to win the middle back. No ands, ifs, or buts about it. You just have to. Because right now, they're getting their clocks cleaned right there. In a midterm election, mind you, where Democrats don't usually do that well among moderates. Every exit poll shows that the Democratic Party did better among moderates, self-described independents. And if you're a Republican looking at that, in election years where Democratic turnout usually isn't that strong, you can bet it's going to be a lot stronger in 2024. So the Republicans need to find some way to win the middle. And the Michigan GOP, they were supporting their candidates and they were tweeting up until, you know, November 9th. and all of a sudden silence after that because they just got obliterated in Michigan. And what happened was a few days later, a memo leaked from the GOP and they said, okay, so we didn't run the right candidate. These, you know, issues that we're running on are not appealing. This is a mistake. So there is a, there's a, there's this internalization happening right now. Whether or not they're going to act on it remains to be seen. If you're the Democratic Party right now, I keep saying this and I feel silly for saying it, but you've got to maintain that firewall. You're not going to, I don't think you're going to, pick up Ohio, it's looking redder than ever. I don't necessarily think you're going to pick up Florida, but you've got Pennsylvania, Arizona to some extent, Minnesota, all those states that were blue are staying blue and you need those in your column to put you over the top. So I would say, you know, Democrats, if you're a Democrat now, you want to stay the course. Don't overlook the uh, rhetoric. Biden's been doing a little bit better job of getting in there and his administration has been, you know, pointing out their successes and being reactive. If you're a Republican right now, you really have to win the middle back. I say, would you uh, agree with that? But yes, uh, both parties need to moderate their stances on abortion. Okay, uh, abortion is a, a, a hot bellwether issue. Inflation is, but nobody really has an answer to inflation. I think a lot of voters know that it's a global crisis, and it's not caused by Biden's policies. And Trump wouldn't have a, any approach that would deal with inflation any better. The other thing that Democrats need to be careful of is uh, immigration and the border, right? That's a very powerful issue for Republicans. It remains a powerful issue. It's a big weakness for Democrats. If they can be seen to be doing things. Uh, and if, in fact, I think one of the things that Biden uh, ought to try exploring, even with this batch of Republicans is a potential deal on immigration. If there's anything that, that, that they could do, this could be it. They could try to do a deal where they start shifting more to a merit-based uh, immigration system and uh, implement DACA, uh, f- the Dreamers Act, you know, for, for uh, recognizing the, the people who were brought into the United States as children long ago and have a very clean, perfect record. And at the same time, uh, do some stuff that would please Republicans and conservatives at the border, tighten restrictions, uh, double the number of border guards, extend some wall somewhere or something. You know, do some of that stuff, which may be silly, uh, but, you know, uh, I think it would help the Democrats a lot to have a stronger record on on immigration. And if the Republicans won't take the deal, 
they at least should um, take some actions that send the same message, that they're serious on immigration and that they want to do something about the issue and that they do not support open borders. So I think, in other words, the, the two charges that do sting uh, in much of the country against Democrats are uh, no restrictions on abortion at all, abortion on demand until birth, and uh, open borders. And if, even if these are unfair accusations, they, Democrats have not uh, made it clear to voters how wrong that is. And then, there, you know, many people will never believe them and will stick with, the, with the, these calumnies, but they need to be very aggressive in saying what it is they do stand for. As for Republicans, it's obvious. Uh, this, you know, the, everything to do with Trump is poison. Election denialism is poison. Populist pandering and posturing is okay. Ron DeSantis does that. It, it wins in points. Culture warrior stuff wins points. There are a lot of conservative Latinos who are ripe for the picking for Republicans, and DeSantis has shown the way in Florida. There are even more conservative African Americans who, even though the Republicans have associated themselves with racism, could be got by someone who wasn't overtly racist the way Trump is. They can do better with all these groups and, of course, with the suburban women who are the key sort of swing demographic in the country. If there's one demographic that really uh, is, is the make or break, it's uh, suburban women. They used to call them soccer moms. Now I don't know what they call them now. They're the, the women who live in the suburbs and the exurbs, not in the farms and not in the cities. Uh, these women uh, are swing voters. They, have, they are willing to vote for Republicans who are not too crazy, and they're willing to vote for Democrats who are not too, uh, you know, loopy liberal. They can be won by either side, and they're open, but they're definitely not interested in Trumpianism, and they're not interested in an attack on democracy and election denial and uh, overthrowing 2020 and uh, stopping people from voting and all of that. That they, they don't want that. And so that, if you run on that basis, if Trump runs in 2024, talking about 2020, he's definitely going to lose. Anyone who runs in 2024, talking about 2020, is bound to lose. I mean, I said, I said that in, in 2020. It was, it's obvious. You can, people don't care about 2020. They want to know about what are you going to do for me today? What are you going to do for my children? What are you going to do for my pocketbook? What are you going to do? And by the way, don't destroy our democracy. Uh, so, you know, uh, I don't know. I think, I think that the, the bottom line is that if Republicans nominate Trump, all the Democrats have to do is not make a horrendous mistake. All they have to do is, you know, keep it together slightly and they'll be okay because Trump is totally unelectable at this point. Thanks so much this week to our guests, Cody Combs and Hussein Ibish. Our show this week was produced by Arthur Edison. I'm Suleiman Hakimi, and this was Beyond the Headlines. And once again, to get all the episodes as soon as they air, hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave us a review.